Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Hi, guys. I'm Hannah. I am the admin director here at Contrast, um, and I'm lucky enough to get to walk through this passage of Matthew with you all this morning. Um, I am married to Adam, who you saw hosting this morning. Um, So we waited until Trey was out of the country to start our takeover of Contrast. So if anyone wants to join our coup, we're taking signups in the back after. Um, Just kidding. Uh, Trey is, like Adam said, he's in Guatemala with a couple other guys from Contrast, and they're serving with one of our global partners, and we will be so happy when they all come back in one piece on Saturday. And actually, next Sunday, we will get to hear from them a little bit about what they did in Guatemala and how they partnered with Promised Land. Um, And yeah, so that should be great. So look forward to that next week. Um, And Trey's my brother, so that would be super awkward if he came back and we were like, "We, we didn't miss you, but we do. Um, So, also, Adam and I have two kids who uh, you may have seen running around. They are six and four. And the other day, lest you think parenting is all fun and games, um, I found this in my four-year-old's bed. Um, This is just what it looks like. It's a potato with a bunch of spikes in it. Um, I'm not really sure what his intentions were for it, but I don't think they were great. Um, I did ask him about it later, and he said that it was a sea urchin. So I don't know if we can believe that or what, but just know that sin nature is alive and well in the Balt household. Um, So anyways, when Trey asked me to teach on this passage, I initially was a little hesitant um, because it was so short, and I wasn't sure that I could turn it into a whole message. But turns out, as so often happens when you're studying the Bible, there is truly so much in these six verses. So we are going to get through all of it this morning. It's going to be great. Um, So let's read our passage together for this morning. We are in Matthew um, chapter 22, and this is verses 34 to 40. Um, It'll be on the screen behind you, or if you need a Bible, those are in the back. Um, So let's read this together. Now when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they assembled together, and one of them, an expert in religious law, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. So we are in the storm, as you saw from our sermon bumper, um, which is basically this short period of time leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, right? He's in Jerusalem. Things are very tense. There are many different groups of people at this point that would love to see him dead, but no one actually can kill him for a myriad of reasons, and so they keep trying to bait other groups of people into killing him for them. So last week, if you remember, Adam Brigham taught us about how um, in a passage Right before this, the Pharisees came to him with this kind of tricky question about taxes and should they pay taxes to Caesar, hoping to trap him and anger a group of people so that hopefully they would take care of Jesus for them. Um, But as we learned last week, Jesus evaded that trap. Um, So the passage right before this one that we're reading today 
Um, the Sadducees kind of do the same thing. They're another group of religious leaders at this time. They publicly ask him a really tricky question, trying to get him to answer or to stumble and to anger someone and essentially incite some sort of violence. Um, but again, Jesus evades it, um, walks away fine. Um, so in this passage, we see the Pharisees, they're going to try again, right? He's refuted them once. They're coming back. They're like, all right. We have a foolproof plan this time. He's not going to be able to walk away from this one. Um, their biggest issue at this point is that the crowd is so firmly on Jesus' side at this point. right? He's been doing public ministry for three-ish years by this point, and he has so many followers, just like common Jewish people who are following him at this time and have come with him into Jerusalem for Passover. And so it is just... Um, it is really hard for the Pharisees to see someone else with all the people's attention and loyalty. And so they are trying to trick Jesus and entrap him so that the people will start to doubt him um, and he won't have so much public support from them. Um, so their plan is they, um, as we see in the passage, they have an expert in the law, essentially a lawyer, come and ask Jesus this question, which commandment is the greatest? Um, so this is... A, a hard question at that point because there are 613 laws in the Torah, in the original Jewish law, um, and there are lots of different religious groups that believe that different laws are more important than others. Similar to we have denominations now where different denominations feel like this, uh, this theology about baptism is more important or this theology about giving is more important or this theology about fill in the blank. We understand what it's like to have warring factions within one religion. And so this is essentially what was happening. And so when they asked him this question, they knew that no matter what he picked, he was going to anger someone, right? Same as we talked about last week, they were presenting him with a dilemma, no good options, no good choices. No matter what he said, he was going to make someone mad. So what is the answer that Jesus gives? He answers with these two commandments out of the Old Testament. Um, and when I read these, originally, it, it spurred this memory in my brain that I actually hadn't thought of in a really long time. Um, Adam and I, I don't know if some of you know this, were youth pastors for about five years, right after we got married in California. Um, and we are both super passionate about camp ministry, have always loved it. And so we took our high schoolers to a camp outside of Yosemite National Park called Hume Lake. And we would take them there every summer. And Hume is very typical summer camp. Anything you can think of, they had it. The blob, the snack shack, the kayaks, the shaving cream wars, all of it. Um, but we lived, and our ministry was in a very affluent mountain town where our students had so many opportunities to be entertained and just they could do anything all the time. And so we thought that their camp experience maybe needed less entertainment, not more. So Hume Lake has this other smaller camp on the outskirts of their property called Wildwood. And so we would take our students to Wildwood. Um, and Wildwood is the opposite of what I just described. You don't step foot inside a building for seven days. You sleep in these big green tents. You eat outside around picnic tables. Um, you spend your free time playing horseshoes and laying in hammocks and studying your Bible and helping with dinner and swimming. And it was just really great. So, but as you can imagine, our students were understandably skeptical about this as we drove them through the main camp and they're watching all the kids swimming and eating ice cream and doing all these things. And we drop them off at this trailhead at the edge of camp and we say, okay, walk this direction and we'll see you in when you get there. Um, but it was great. And it was just this really, we have lots of really great memories of these weeks with our students. Um, but what this has to do with this passage in Matthew is that one of the first things they did when we got there 
um, is they taught the students this ancient Israelite prayer called the Shema. So anytime they blew the conch shell, we didn't have watches, we didn't have electronics, and so they would call us to meals and activities with like one of those big shells. Um, we, the students would come and they would all stand around and they would recite the Shema. And the Shema is the same thing that Jesus gave as the response to these, this expert in the law when he asked what commandment is the greatest. And so I thought, man, what is so important about this passage that, it, that Jesus would have cited it as the greatest commandment and also 2,000 years later, high schoolers are learning it in Hebrew. They were, they were learning it in Hebrew and reciting it in the middle of the woods in California. Like there has to be, this has to be so important. So I would love if you guys would pause with me. We're going to read the Shema, and then we're going to just um, dig a little bit deeper into it. And then we, I promise you we will come back to Matthew. So we're going to pause, do like a little message inside a message, messageception, if you will. Um, so the Shema is going to be on the screen for you guys. I'm going to read it for you in English. Um, so the Shema says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So what is so important about the Shema? Um, so every morning and every evening, basically since this prayer was written in the book of Deuteronomy, Jewish people have said this. They start their day with it. They end their day with it. Um, it essentially, it's a part of their daily rhythm. It essentially is kind of like a Jewish pledge of allegiance um, and also a hymn of praise in certain ways. Um, in Deuteronomy, the passage after we see it written, um, it talks about how they are supposed to talk about this with their children. They are supposed to um, write it on their foreheads, and they are supposed to inscribe it on their door frames. So you actually will see some Jewish houses still have it inscribed on their door frames. Um, so this was very important in Jewish culture. Every Jewish kid would have known this from the time they were born. Um, and what, it, what Shema means is it just means to listen. Shema Israel is how it starts. Listen, Israel. But the cool thing, when you dig a little deeper into this and we learn about what the Hebrew word Shema means, is it doesn't just mean to listen. It means to listen and obey. In Hebrew, there's not a separate word for obey. So these are two sides of the same coin. So when they hear this, Shema Israel, what it's saying is listen and pay attention, Israel, to what I'm saying, but also obey and follow what I'm telling you to do. Have action that follows your listening. So this is a lot of times in the Old Testament when we hear um, the prophets talk about how the Israelites had ears but they couldn't hear. Their physical hearing was fine. This is the idea that they were hearing the words of the prophets or hearing the word of the Lord, but not following it up with that action that would show any sort of comprehension from that hearing. Um, so let's break this down just a little bit further. So the Shema gives us three ways that we are supposed to love the Lord, right? So our first one is we are supposed to love the Lord with all our heart. Um, in Hebrew, the word for heart is lev, and it means essentially the same as what we would think of a heart. The Israelites knew that you had a physical heart in your body, and it was keeping you alive. Um, but they had no word for brain or any concept of brain in Hebrew. And so not only was your heart this physical thing that was keeping your body alive, it was also where your thoughts, your emotions, and all your choices came out of. Um, all intellectual activity was in your heart. So you know things in your heart, you understand things in your heart, you discern things in your heart, your wisdom is in your heart. Um, it was truly where your affections were centered, 
and just the center of all parts of human existence, really. Um, so I'm going to offer you guys an alternate translation of this passage of scripture from the Bible Project. They have a great series of videos on the Shema if you care to dig a little deeper into this. But so I say, instead of saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, maybe we start saying, love the Lord your God with all your will and all your affections. Um, secondly, we are to love the Lord with all our soul. Um, the word for soul in Hebrew is nefesh. We have heard Trey talk about nefesh before. Um, we think of, in English, we think of soul as like the ghost within the machine, kind of. It's this separate thing. It's, it lives on after we die. Um, but that's not at all how the Jewish listeners of the Shema would have heard this. Um, the closest translation of nefesh is actually throat, because your whole life and body depend on what comes in and out of your throat. Um, so it can also kind of mean whole, your whole person, your whole physical being. Um, so people don't have a nefesh. They are a nefesh. Um, it's this idea that you're a living, physical organism. It emphasizes your whole being, both your life and your body. Um, and in this context, what it's saying is you should devote your whole physical existence to your creator, right? Your entire being with all its capabilities, its limitations, because he's the one who gave you that body in the first place. So instead of saying, love the Lord with all your soul, maybe we say that we're going to love the Lord with our whole life and our physical being. And lastly, um, we see that we're supposed to love the Lord with all our mind. Jesus says strength here, um, which both are the word miod. And this is a really common Hebrew word. It just means very or much. Um, it intensifies the meaning of a word that it was paired with. So it really just means muchness. And it can refer to almost anything. Um, so it means devoting, so when, we, when, the, when the Jewish listeners would have heard this in the Shema, what they would have heard is, this means devoting every possibility, every opportunity, every capacity that you have to honoring God and loving your neighbor. Um, and like we said, originally it says mind, Jesus says strength, because both of these, your mind and your power or your strength, are both human capacities that can be used to love God in an infinite number of ways. Um, and everything in your, in your life, in a person's life, every moment, every opportunity, every ability and capacity offers a chance to love and honor the one who made you. So lastly, instead of loving him with all of our power, strength, mind, I think we can just put in the word muchness. And even though it sounds a little silly, I think it helps encompass really what this is trying to say. Um, so, I don't know, I just thought that was cool and important to dig a little deeper into because when Jesus says these things, we hear them in English and we understand them to the best of our capability, but I think we forget sometimes that the Bible um, was written for us, but not to us, right? And so sometimes there's a lot more behind it that we, if we take a little time to dig, that we can better understand, like, how would a person who had grown up in the Jewish culture and was listening to Jesus at this time in history have understood when he said that this is the greatest commandment, why would this have mattered so much? Um, so let's go back to Matthew and our passage for the day. Thank you for going on that little historical tangent with me. You know if I get up here, you're gonna, it's going to be so nerdy and we're going to dig so deep. I could, I could geek out on the Bible all day with you guys. Um, so why would Jesus respond with this passage of scripture? Why does he quote the Shema as, his, as the greatest commandment? Um, and also, why does he tack on that other little part about loving your neighbor? Because that is not a part of the Shema. The Shema stops at the end of loving the Lord. 
there's nothing about your neighbor. So Jesus adds that second part on. Um, essentially, by focusing on love, loving the Lord, loving your neighbor, instead of these tangible rules and laws to be obeyed, it changes the whole discussion, right? It's not about this rule is better than this rule or this law is more important than this law. It's why do we have these laws? Why do these laws exist in the first place? So it elevates this very well-known and common principle. Like I said, all of these Jewish people would have known the Shema. Um, it points to how the Shema has application in every single part of life, right? Every single part of religious life, every single part of life and community. Um, and I think we have to remember he's first and foremost talking to these religious leaders, right? They are um, the ones asking him the question publicly. And the Shema applies to the two main aspects of religious duty, right? What's your attitude towards God? And what's your attitude towards other people? What else is really cool about this that I learned while studying for this was that Jesus was the first person to put these two commands together. So like I said, the Shema, well-known. They would have known this. The Jewish leaders would have known this. He was the first one to add on that other part about loving your neighbor as yourself. It's actually found in a whole different part of the Pentateuch. The Shema comes from Deuteronomy. Loving your neighbor as yourself comes from another part of the law in Leviticus. And so when he adds on that second command, what he's saying is these two things only make sense in context of each other, right? The first command without the second gives us no way to express that love for God, right? And the second command without the first is just empty acts of kindness, right? We're just doing good things to do good things. There's no deeper, greater reason behind why we're doing this. Um, so fascinatingly, this is not the first time that we see Jesus actually answer a question with this passage. If we go all the way back to Luke 10, there are other books in the Bible except for Matthew. I know that we as a church have been in Matthew for a long time. But um, so if you go all the way back to Luke 10, you see another expert of the law ask him the question. So this is how the Good Samaritan parable starts. It's this little blurb and then Jesus goes into the Good Samaritan parable. This expert in the law asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of throws it back on him and says, what do you think that you need to do to inherit eternal life? Um, and the expert in the law quotes this back to him. He quotes the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He puts on this other part, which is really interesting because, like we said, Jesus was the one who was putting these together. How did this expert in the law know that this is what Jesus wanted him to tell him? All we can assume is that this was such a huge part of Jesus' ministry. He had preached this for, like I said, three years at this point. He is... This is the foundation of his ministry, his teachings. It's this idea that we love the Lord, and because we love the Lord, we love our neighbor. And as we love our neighbor, we love the Lord. And so he had been, so when the Pharisees in our passage today asked him this question, they had to know what he was going to say. He had been saying this for three years. This other expert in the law said this right back to him. Um, and so I just think it's really interesting that the all-encompassing nature of love in these two passages, right? It makes them perfect. It makes them the perfect answer to this question about what commandments are the greatest because all everything else falls underneath it, right? These two things summarize the whole law, which is exactly what the lawyer asked him to do, which are the greatest commandments. They cover all the main focus of human responsibility under God. Um, we are to love God with all parts of ourselves, and because of that love, we will love our neighbors. 
And once we've established our love for God and our love for our neighbor, then all the rest of the rules in the Torah, all the other 611 rules, fall under this and show us how to practically work out this in our life, right? Okay, we love the Lord. What does it practically look like to love God? Here are some rules and some guidelines to help you with that. What does it practically look like to love our neighbor? Here are some rules and some guidelines to help with that. Um, So love becomes the primary principle for interpreting and understanding the law. And I know we talked about this a lot recently, just how provocative all this stuff that Jesus was saying is. Trey says this a lot. Adam said it last week. He is blowing people's minds with what he is talking about and what he is preaching publicly. They had never thought to put these two ideas together because who is teaching them all of this and the law and the prophets? It's the Pharisees. And they, they're the ones who are literate. They have control over what information comes down to the common man. And so this would have been mind-blowing for some of these people to hear these two things together. Like, oh, you mean my love for God should work itself out in my love for my neighbor? It was just so cool. And the religious leaders never led with love, right? They would have never modeled this. They stopped at the end of the Shema, right? Their focus was on loving the Lord and doing the right things and what that looked like. But Jesus put it together. He said the judgment and the legalism and all the things that you guys are leading with that's not, what we're, that's not what we're here for. You know, we're here to see this love for God come in conjunction with the love for our neighbor. So, once again, Jesus walks away from their trap unharmed um, and with the full support of the crowd. And he is not done making the Pharisees look like fools. We will see next week when Trey's back um, just how he, um, he kind of continues to just really, yeah, just really make them look like fools publicly. Um, so what does this practically look like us for, look like for us today? Um, it's really cool to dig deep into all of this and to understand the context and like what was happening then, but we live now in 2023 and the Bible was written for us and for us to understand how this applies to our everyday life. So I think looking at this passage, there are two things that we can take away from this. Um, first is that God knows humans. He is not surprised by our failures, and he has truly tried to make this as easy for us as possible. Um, I think we want to ask, why isn't the Bible clearer? You know, um, why doesn't God tell us exactly what to do? And I'm just not sure we can ask that question after reading a passage like this. It feels very clear to me what we're supposed to do, right? We can look at every decision we make through the lens of, is this helping me to love God? Is this helping me to love my neighbor? And if the answer is yes, then we should do it. And not to say that there aren't gray areas and there aren't confusing things in the Bible that we aren't sure about, but I think this is a great place to start which is why Jesus started with it, right? And then he said, and then look at the secondary things, and then look at the other laws, but start with loving God and loving your neighbor. Um, And you can't go wrong. The second thing is that so much of how we love God and how we love our neighbors is less about what we're doing and more about how we're doing it, right? Um, Because if we're doing this right, we're leading from love, and everything else is following behind that. Like we said, the Pharisees were doing all the right things, but their heart, the how behind it was wrong. And so all their what was correct. They were doing all these things, but the heart behind it was wrong. And same with, you can hit the other side of it, and you can be doing all the right things, but, or you can be, yeah, you can be serving, or you can be loving the Lord, but not doing any of the practical stuff. And so then you're also missing that piece too. Um, So I have this cool little book of liturgies, which are just little prayers for all kinds of life situations. And I want to read you guys this little part from um, 
one of these. It's um, This is called Daybreak. It's just like a prayer that I read in the morning, and this is just a little part of it um, that I think helps us practically think about um, what does it look like to love the Lord, to love our neighbor. Here are some ideas of maybe how we can practically put this into practice in our everyday life. So, O children of the living God, what is your father's greatest desire for this day? That we should love our eternal king with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds, and with all our strength. And how would you show this love? By remembering him at all times, by cultivating thankfulness for his many blessings, and trusting his good providence for the meeting of our needs. By loving all those whose lives intersect our own, by choosing to serve rather than to be served, to be wounded rather than to wound, and by bearing patiently with the failings of others, extending the same kindness, mercy, and compassion that God in Christ so graciously offered us. We would also love him by serving with faithfulness and due passion in our various vocations, by delighting in all the things he's created for our benefit and pleasure, and by caring well for all he has given us to steward. O children of the living God, you would do well to practice your love in these ways today. So I'm going to invite the band up, and we are going to move into formation time. We have formation time every week here at Contrast. You have a couple different options for how you can spend this time. You can take communion, which is in the front and the back. We have gluten-free. We'd love for you guys to join us in that. You can get prayer. We have a prayer team at the back who would also love to pray with you about big things, small things. Sometimes it's nice just to pray without any prompt, just to have pray with another person. Um, you can give. We would love for you to give online. We have a box in the back. Um, and lastly, you can reflect. You can think about really what was the Lord saying to you through this passage. Um, I, and I have a couple questions up here to help you guys. Um, I would just encourage you to take some time to think about what does it really look like to love the Lord your God with all your will and affections, your whole life and physical being, and with all your muchness? And what does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself, you know? And maybe, like I said, it's just we do it this week. Maybe we don't try to make this like big change that feels discouraging and we don't make progress and then we just give up. Maybe we just think about practically, hey, am I free on Thursday? Can I go to Little Bottoms? Or is there a person that I can just text and encourage? Or maybe I need to spend time in the word. Like maybe that's what I struggle with. Maybe you are faithfully serving at Little Bottoms or in one of our other MCs or in some other part of, um, of really any nonprofit or any art space in our community that helps do good things and you need to spend more time like I need to consistently just every day this week I'm going to try to read my Bible every day this week I'm going to try to spend 10 minutes with the Lord work up to it give yourself real ways that you can do this so I would encourage you to think about that um, because we can't have one without the other right we sometimes we have a bend towards one worship is really easy and we feel connected to the Lord but it's hard to know practically how do we walk that out or maybe we're really good at the practical side of it but we struggle with like church and community and our relationship with Jesus and that feels too hard and I don't need that um, I think we have to remember that Jesus said so many times that if you love me you'll love these these two things go together right we worship the Lord and out of that we it spurns us on to action and that action brings us back to worship and that cycle just continues on and on um, and I think that's what's so powerful about this story, right? And I think we want to make this more complicated. Even when we go back to Luke 10, that the expert in law answers correctly. He knew the Lord's heart for this, and he still wants to nitpick, and he wants to say, well, who is my neighbor? 
or how many times do I have to forgive them? And so I would also encourage you to think that through maybe. Are there things, are there ways that you are trying to make this more complicated so that it feels more comfortable for you? Because sometimes it's hard to do something new or it's hard to step outside our comfort zone or to commit to something that feels difficult and so we wanna know exactly how we need to do it step by step and sometimes we just need to take a step and that's enough because the Lord can't direct our steps if we're standing still. Um, so think about these things. Um, Jesus was asked to give the greatest command and said he gave two and there's a reason that he gave two. If we can figure out how to walk out our love for our Lord and our love for our neighbor, that's all that matters. These are the greatest commands and um, yeah, and that's all that matters. So take some time. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.